type. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing, everybody. One hour left of the show this morning. You're waking up on a very frigid Saturday morning, but glad you're here with us on 95.5 WSB. And you know who else is here with us? Hello! WSB meteorologist Christina Edwards. Thanks for being in the studio this you're morning. so welcome. I just had my coffee, so I have all the energy right now. We're going to need it because you know everybody's getting hyped up about uh, the predicted just kind of wet, roast a little bit of frozen, a little bit of snowy, whatever you want to call it, weather this weekend. Um, but, Christina, this doesn't seem so far to be as big an event as an event as last Sunday into Monday. Absolutely. And if anything, it's just a nuisance. I mean, we we have a little bit of uh, lingering cloud cover, and I anticipate a little bit more sunshine both today and for your Sunday. So that is great news. However, it's still cold. We're running about 15 degrees colder than we normally would be for January, wow. which obviously is one of our winter months. It's supposed to be cold this time of year, but we're talking about morning lows in the mid-20s, afternoon highs in the low to mid-40s. So yeah, even even with the sunshine saying, come out, come out and dig in the garden, you go outside, you're like, whoa, whoa yeah. I did not <laughs> sign up for that. Don't want to dig into that soil. It's a little too chilly, but not frozen. So not frozen. let's talk about the difference between, you know, or the impact that the air temperature has on the soil temperature, and I've always reminded folks for years, and so did Walter Reeves, there's a website from the University of Georgia that's accessible to anybody, weather.uga.edu. It's put out by the College of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences, Christina, and there it's got dew point, average Mm -hmm. temperatures, uh, average date of the first frost, the last frost, and what's cool is you can check soil temperatures. So, Ashley, you know me. I'm a proud yellow jacket on the home of the Georgia Bulldogs. I love that website. Isn't it cool? And I've been using that website for over 20 years. That's the Georgia Mesonet. And honestly, a lot of us meteorologists check into that uh, because that website is so helpful for letting us know on an agricultural side what what are our current conditions, if you will. Both air temperature, as you mentioned, the dew point, but also the soil temperatures. Just because the air temperature is cold, there's still something called thermal inertia going on with the soil. I love that. I know, right? Science. Welcome to (laughs) science. Even though the air is cold, it still takes some time to actually get the ground that frozen. So if you wanted to go tend to the garden, Saturday would more than likely be better than Sunday because you've had a little bit more time to be exposed to that cold air as you go into Sunday morning. But still, I don't think it's going to be nearly as completely frozen over as, say, anyone would think hearing that the air temperature is in the mid-20s. And I'm sure, you know, if if we get out of this winter and get another snowfall or two that's significant, snow on the ground for a few days, would that accelerate those uh, decreasing soil temperatures? It's a good question because in some regards, snow can actually insulate you know, like an igloo. Yeah. You know, it can it, it depending on how that snow has fallen and what's underneath it, sometimes it can help insulate. And in other times, like for instance, snow can make the air above it even colder. Huh. So that's why I look at, say, the Nashville area, the, the Huntsville area, because if I know that they have snowpack on the ground there, then I know that the air coming into North Georgia is likely going to be colder. However, you have if you have snow on the ground for your garden, you may actually have a little bit of insulation just underneath that snow. And let me throw this out because you're somewhat of a new homeowner. Yes. Two plants, flowers, that love snow, they don't mind it a bit, they pop out, they still show their color, 
pansies and primrose, just in case you're shopping. That is good to know because, <laughs> I mean, the pansy, it's it's such a humble flower. Because this time of year, I get a, I get a little uh, gloomy. I want to see some cheer. Right. So popping some color into the garden would absolutely help me out. Now, I have a question for you. Ooh, okay. Okay, so I have forecast lows in the mid-20s as we go into your Sunday. And to me, that's for some people, that's not so much hard freeze territory. I always like to use the rule of thumb, 27 and below, you need to protect your pipe. Now, I've heard all about protecting your outdoor pipes, like, you know, your your hose, the uh, junction where you put your hose up to the uh, to the wall on the outside. I'm a new homeowner. This is my second home. But quite frankly, even with the first home, I was like, well, how do I do that? That's a great idea. But how do I do it? What is the product that I need? What is it called? And how do I go about protecting that? Well, first of all, congratulations on the house. And Thank I think you. you and I are probably going to plan a spring visit yes. to see that the great garden that you've already gotten, you know, mm-hmm. moved into and established for you. And I'm really glad you asked that because I had in mind plumbing concerns with the cold weather. So conveniently, Christina, stay tuned right here because I have Jason Ragsdale from Ragsdale Heating, Air and Plumbing on the line with us right now to talk about exactly how we need to prepare. Jason, good morning. Good morning, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to finally have you as part of the Ragsdale family and the entire Ragsdale team on green and growing, and for good reason. You just heard Christina mention concerns about plumbing, cold pipes, cold weather, and I knew you would be just the one to ask. What homeowners need to do to protect their plumbing with these cold temperatures? They started dropping suddenly Thursday afternoon, but uh, Jason, my thoughts first go outside the plumbing there. That's definitely a valid concern, especially with these kind of temperatures. As far as the outdoor hose bibs or spigots go, the main thing you want to do is go inside and there should be a shutoff valve right behind or very near each hose bib or spigot. You want to turn that off uh, first and foremost and then go outside to the spigot and actually open it. Most important thing there would be to disconnect any hoses from the spigots. That way there's no water inside the hoses that can freeze. That's or, a good or idea. Them. Yeah. So make sure they're disconnected. Open the spigot so that it can drain. That's pretty much all you need to do. Some people um, will invest in frost-free uh, hose bibs. You can absolutely do. It's not required. Where that would come into play, I would think, is if the shutoff valve is in a not-so-easy place to get to. Uh, crawl space or something like that and you don't want to crawl up under there and turn the valve off once a year you can uh, invest in a frost-free hose bib and that kind of solves that problem for you good that was going to be my suggestion to christina certainly yeah buying one of those covers and just keeping it on for the cold months let me ask you you just mentioned a crawl space which is funny because i was going to ask you about that do homeowners have different concerns whether they're on a you know a concrete foundation or they have a finished basement versus being on a crawl space is there any extra precautions folks with you know pipes down and crawl spaces need to take not necessarily actually um i was going to talk about some other things inside the house you can do like you know opening the kitchen sink valves and, and let them just drip and that will that will take care of anything in the that's running through the crawl space or anything like that that's sort of you know accessible to the cold the good thing is even in the crawl space, the wind can't get to it, which that's the major problem. When the wind gets to go, and that's that's the main concern. And really, your outdoor spigots are the main problem, the main thing that's subject to that wind. 
Okay. And I love the tip that you're giving to leave, you know, those faucets indoors dripping overnight. Do we have to do that with the faucets that are only on exterior walls or is it a good idea to just go ahead and do it for faucets that are, you know, on interior walls as well? The main concern is definitely the those that are on the exterior walls. Let's say you live in a house with no water on an exterior wall, no mm-hmm. sinks, no toilets, anything like that. It's still a good idea to at least go maybe to to each uh, bathroom sink, the vanity, and turn the hot and cold on just to, just to get a steady drip. You don't need it steady running or anything like that. Just a steady drip is all you need. All right. And let me ask you, too, one more kind of indoor-related question. Um, our water heaters, and Dave Baker with the Home Fix-It show always yells at people for calling them hot water heaters because he says that's kind of <laughs> redundant. So, yeah, they're water heaters that are heating the water hot. I get it. So the water heaters, do we need to do anything with those? You know, over the years of the hardware stores and things, I've seen, like, insulated blankets and that kind of thing for them. Is that necessary? Fortunately, that's a thing of the past. Oh. Um Several years ago, they uh, they rolled out some new regulations as far as the manufacture of water heaters. So now, due to those regulations, the water heaters are actually built with a lot more insulation around the tank than they than they used to have. So it's really not a totally unnecessary to wrap a blanket around it or anything like that. Oh, so we don't have to put the water heater to bed with a blanket at night. That is a good, (laughs) really good thing. And Jason, I think that um, off the air, you were telling me you have a tip for bird lovers. Yeah, so I'm I'm a bird lover myself. Um, As far as bird baths go in this weather, mainly glass bird baths. Always want to empty the water out of the bird bath, turn it upside down, bring it in, whatever you need to do to just keep water out of it because in a glass bird bath that water will freeze it will break the bird bath we don't want that oh what a mess that's going to make when you go to run over that area with a lawnmower when the weather warms up you're probably going to get a flat tire from the glass (laughs) and the grass right (laughs) that would not be good no jason very thoughtful tips thank you so much for sharing and if folks are in need of a plumber or hvac work how do they get in touch with ragsdale two ways ashley our Phone lines are always open at 770-443-1821, 770-443-1821, or they can visit our website at ragsdaleair.com. That's R-A-G-S-D-A-L-E-A-I-R.com. Online, Jason, that's exactly how I get in touch with you guys, and I have had a recent need. You've been at my house in the last month for a plumbing concern for an HVAC maintenance tune-up. So thank you so much for being on Green and Growing this morning. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Ashley. All right. I'll see you soon. And hey, folks, when we come back, more of your calls, 404-872-0750. It's green and growing right here on 95.5 WSB. I'm Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. Decreasing clouds today, a high of only 44. Tomorrow, sunny and cold, low 26, high 48. And we are back, and we thank Finley Roofing for that update on the weather. And Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz, 404-872-0750. Some great calls for you, and we've got the time. So up first, Steve in Atlanta. Good morning, Steve. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Ashley? Hey, great. How uh, are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you. But, uh, hey, what my question is, is, I have a Myers lemon tree. It's about two years old. And we had about 12 to 15 lemons this year. 
And what I want to know is now that all the lemon and the fruit's gone, when's the proper time to, to, to prune it and possibly repot it into a bigger pot? Because I think it might be trying to be root bound. Yeah. Okay. So great, and, uh, great questions. Um, first of all, if it's pretty much done with its yield, uh, now's a good time to do that and kind of get it acclimated to new soil, a new pot and all of that before you bring it back outside when the weather warms up. Um, and mm-hmm. a general rule of thumb for transplanting anything that is root bound uh, you really don't want to go to a pot that's more than an inch larger than what's it what it's in. And I know that doesn't sound like a big size difference, but it's enough to where the tree is going to be happy. So go up, you know, I mean, sometimes pots are sold in 20, 22 inch diameter. So if that's the best you can do, two inches is fine. But don't go to one too large. Uh, do that now. That would be fine. You don't need to fertilize now that it's kind of on the, you know, down side of things. But pruning, really, there's not a lot you can do to mess up the pruning, Steve. Um, And the idea is to take out the limbs that, you know, aren't worthwhile. They're not doing anything. They're not adding any value. So take out the weak limbs, the ones that maybe didn't have any leaves on them. Um, Anything that's pretty small is not going to do the tree any good because it's not going to be able to bear the the weight of the fruit. So start with those and start with suckers, too. If there's suckers coming down at the base or coming out from the base of the tree, all that's going to do is rob nutrients from the main trunk. So definitely cut suckers back. Um, And then once you really start to look at it, I've seen Meyer lemons that are pretty big, cut away the branches that crisscross in the middle and all of that. And keeping in mind the shape that you're going for is for it to be more narrow at the top and then widen out as you go out because that's going to allow for all the sunlight to get to all parts of the plant. So if you keep those things in mind, pruning should be pretty easy. And you're saying don't don't continue to feed it every two weeks in the dormant months? Right. Nope, not necessary. A general rule of thumb for any plant is only fertilize when it's in active growth. I mean, it's not going to hurt to do it, but it's just completely unnecessary. So at this time, it doesn't really need it. Um, it's going to kind of, you know, rest for a little bit, and then you're doing everything you can, including repotting it, to get it ready to be strong to go out there and, you know, start growing again in the spring and put on new growth and all that. That'll work. Is it normal to have three lemons come off of one branch like it like it was doing? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad well, you, you cool. got. Yeah, that. I'm glad you had lemons. That's awesome. No, it does. It made good lemonade. Oh, that's good. Did did three go far enough? Oh, oh no, no. I had twelve lemons. That's but true. I, what I'm saying is, uh, <laughs> they all turned out to. I mean, they were nice, beautiful lemons, and I never realized that they didn't turn yellow until they were ready to pick. They were always green, and I'm telling my wife, I think I got a lime tree, not a lemon tree. <laughs> I know, that's something we were talking about earlier in the show with the guy, his strawberries weren't ripening, and I'm like, I know they don't look the right color, they're not supposed to be white, but just be patient. Well, that's awesome, that's a good call, Steve. Thank you so much. 404-872-0750. Up next, Dan in Dallas, you got about 30 seconds. If you can be quick, what's your question? Real quick question. I pruned my crepe myrtles this year, and when I got down to the bark, I could see probably 100 uh, pinholes all over everywhere. I mean, there's there's literally pinholes that would be about the size of a a, uh, darning needle. Yeah. Well, that, my friend, is the Asian ambrosia beetle. Um, And what you generally see depends on the time of year. As they have bored in, you see like a toothpick-like thing of sawdust that has been kicked out of the holes. And now with rain, and I don't know what the, the beetle's life cycle is, but now you may not see that sawdust coming out. 
but the fact that it has no pattern to it whatsoever, that is Asian ambrosia beetle. So there's not really a treatment for it. And they are so common in crepe myrtles. So just keep an eye on it. If it's beloved, I would have an arborist come out. But again, I don't think there's a lot to do. And for folks that also see holes in their trees, but they're more of a, they encircle the trunk and there's more of a pattern, but they may be about the same size hole. Those are from woodpeckers, sapsuckers. So you have to know the difference there. But Dan, I am sorry. I do not have better news for you. Peggy in Lawrenceville is going to be up when we come back. Is it okay to use crepe myrtle wood in the fireplace? And Miles with Pike Nursery. We're going to talk about pet-friendly houseplants coming up on Green and Growing. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. If you've been with us at 6 o'clock, God bless you. I was joking with my boss before I came on the air, and he wasn't able to sleep. And I said, well, since you're not asleep, you can certainly tune into the show at 6 o'clock. And then I went, but then again, it could put you to sleep if you're not interested in gardening. I don't know. So if you've been with us for two and a half hours, I so appreciate it. Another half hour to go. And then I got to make way for Dave Baker and the Home Fix It show. And he will be joined by Clark Howard who is at his Habitat for Humanity build site this morning. So that's fantastic. If you're headed out the door to volunteer at that site, I don't need to tell you to bundle up. It's going to be cold, but I'm going to join Clark out there as well. Make sure he's set to go and be on the air with Dave Baker. So if you love you some Clark Howard, you're going to get your fix coming up with the Home Fix-It show. 404-872-0750. I do have Miles Leonard from Pike Nursery. You can be talking to him in just a minute about uh, houseplants that are pet-friendly. And that is really a topic of concern with many of you. So I am pleased to share that info. But first, I wanted to talk to Peggy in Lawrenceville. She's been patiently holding. Hey, Peggy, good morning. Hey, good morning, Erica. How you doing, Ashley? I'm very good. Thank you. So what's your question? Well, I need to do some major work on my crepe myrtle. Uh, It's about 30 years old, and I'm ashamed to say I haven't done any work on it since 2005. So uh, I'm wondering what to do about hauling off all the limbs. And someone suggested that I might be able to use it in my fireplace after it dries and gets seasoned. Mm -hmm. So now is it a crepe myrtle? Is that considered a hardwood? It is. It is. And it's very tough to split when you're actually talking about the trunks and the larger parts of the tree. Um, It is used for woodworking and stuff. Like I think, I mean, the most common thing I've seen made out of myrtle wood is like bowls and things. So I don't know how they you know, work it obviously with the proper tools, I guess. But for you, it's going to be tough. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. having a burn pile in the yard with the limbs and stuff, not a bad idea. Obviously, make sure of the regulations in your county. But um, it's not ideal for firewood, but you can. You absolutely can. Like you said, it just needs to be seasoned. Um, And Mm -hmm. I've heard mixed things on, you know, how smoky it is. Some people compare it to burning pine. Um, so mm-hmm. you may just want to be aware of that and do a little look a little further into that. But uh, I'd say if it's seasoned and and you need to burn it, it's going to burn pretty quickly, though, I think. You know, once it's seasoned mm-hmm. and the trunks aren't super big. Um, mm-hmm. So as far as warmth, you know, and practicality, it's not going to be a long fire, but you could do it. Yeah. Like I can throw a few pieces on top of the other wood I have. Sure. Mm-hmm. Not just make a total fire with <laughs> crepe, it right? right not a not a complete uh crepe myrtle wood fire yeah but mixed in with other mm-hmm. things certainly mm-hmm. okay well thank you so much i appreciate it very good thank you for the call good luck and like i said uh you know when it comes to watering restrictions 
and burn restrictions and stuff, I always feel like I am obligated to tell people to check with your uh, your county and your city and make sure that we're you know in line with all of that. All right. So without further ado, for the first time on Green and Growing, I've got Miles Leonard, who is a floral designer for Pike Nurseries here in Metro Atlanta. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. How are you today? Very good, and I'm so glad you're joining us. Um, and tell me what your job entails as a floral designer. That sounds fun. Right. So I make custom arrangements, um, both for sale in a store and for customers who come in looking for a special arrangement for their table or for a, a occasion that's coming up. That's awesome. So um, as I walk into, you know, all the Pike Nursery locations that I visit, there's huge planters, you know, out front. And it's always a really nice mix. This time of year, we've got some maybe ornamental cabbage or kale and pansies and always some really tall piece in the center. So you do those. But for customers, too, like they could actually you know, ask you for something custom made? For sure. Uh, I spend most of my time doing orchid arrangements um, with other houseplants, but I also do outdoor containers as well. So whatever your container needs are, you can definitely make that happen. That's really neat because I I would bet someone would probably want to check with you first, you know, to make sure they put compatible plants in the same container, you know, like that the plants have the same water needs and the same light needs so that they're going to grow successfully together, right? Correct. That's super important, yeah. uh, especially the watering. Ah, very cool. All right, Miles. Well, very good to have you. So today, talking about uh, houseplants that are friendly to our furry friends, um, it just often stresses homeowners out. They feel like they have to choose between the pet or the houseplant. And some are dangerous to a cat or dog if they were to eat them. And there's a difference between being fatally toxic and just irritating, right? I mean, if it's going to just cause your cat to throw up and then he moves on with his life and he's okay versus something that absolutely they don't want to eat. Um, So we want to focus on some stuff that is safe. So folks need to write these down because if you have pets and you want some greenery in your life, you can have both. So Miles, where do we begin? Yeah, so they kind of are in four broad categories. Um, The first category would just be kind of foliage plants. Um, So think things like ferns, Boston fern, maidenhair fern, stag hair, st- staghorn fern, excuse me, or a bird's nest fern. Um, these are all just going to be green, leafy plants. They like medium light, um, and they like pretty wet conditions. So if you don't have a, a bright room, this could be the plant for you. Oh, nice. Um, another kind of low-light plant that is actually good indoors or outdoors is called Aspidistra. You may know it as the cast iron plant. Right. Um, it generally, when you see it, it comes in just a, a green variety, but there is also a Milky Way variety that has little white speckles on it. So that's a pretty cool um, addition. And one of the amazing things, it's called a cast iron plant because it's indestructible. Um, <laughs> if, if you are a you know, black thumb or it's your first plant, your very first house plant, this would be a great one to start with. That's a good suggestion. You have to make effort to, to kill it. Good. <laughs> um. Another kind of green leafy plant would be palms. So there's an areca palm, there's a ponytail palm, a parlor palm. I mean, there are all kinds of different palms that you can get. These are going to want bright light, though. So you need to have a nice window um, to put them near. And, you know, I don't think we give our pets enough credit. Like, I could see a cat playing with that and being attracted to that. Maybe not be curious about eating it, but just, I mean, if you don't mind, you know, a, a pot being tumped over every now and then and sweeping up a little bit of soil off the ground, I think... They may be kind of entertained by them like we are, no? For sure. The palm category, definitely. And even some of the ferns, anything that kind of has a, a wavy frond that they can play with that would kind of imitate a cat toy, um, that's going to really 
make your pet happy. Nice. It may not make you so happy when there's a mess (laughs) to clean up, but. But we love them anyway, so it's forgivable. It's definitely forgivable. We do, and at least you know if they're playing with these types of plants, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. So are we still in the just the greenery category? Uh, we can transition over to some more colorful foliage. Okay. Um, things like calatheas. Um, these come in lots of different color patterns. They are, they're low to medium light, depending on the kind that you get. Um, the biggest caution I'd give you with the calathea is to be aware of your watering. Um, they're kind of the Goldilocks plant. They don't want too much, and they don't want too little. Okay. Uh, you could also look at a peppermonia or a peperomia. Those are good. Um, they're, they're super easy care. Um, they have almost succulent-like leaves. Um, and other than that, they come in all different varieties. I mean, any color under the sun that you could possibly want, you can find. Um, we definitely have them in the store. Uh, another category is kind of more flowery things. A lot of people like flowers. Um, and so starting kind of smallest to largest would be an African violet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've probably seen those around Mother's Day. They're a really popular Mother's Day gift. And that is safe. The- that is safe for pets. That's good. Yeah. So you can give it to mom and her pet will be safe. <laughs> good. Okay. Um, you want to make sure that with an African violet that you water it from the bottom. They don't like to have wet leaves. So keep that in mind. We just passed the holiday season. So if you bought a Christmas cactus, you're in luck. These like medium to bright light, um, and they have beautiful flowers. Some some are Christmas cactuses, some are Thanksgiving cactuses. Just depends on what you get mm-hmm. and when they'll bloom. And the last category is kind of my category, or last plant in this category is my plant. It's the orchid. Um, they are known for their long-lasting blooms. They can last for weeks. Um, the struggle that a lot of people have is reblooming them. Oh, wow. uh, and the advice I always give people is, if the leaves are green, your plant is still alive. Uh, many people think that just because it's not blooming, their plant has died, and that is not true. So please don't throw away that orchid. Keep that orchid in your house. It is safe for your pet, and it will rebloom in six to nine months. And it is okay for, you know, I mean, their blooms last for so long, but once the stem has lost all the blooms, I don't know why. People ask me. They've got a fear of cutting that stem away, and I'm like, well, think about it. It's not serving any purpose. Don't be afraid. It's not like losing an arm. I mean, cutting that stem down is okay once it's done blooming, right? It is definitely okay to cut that stem. And it's also okay to cut some of the air roots. A lot of times you'll see those brown, crispy air roots kind of hanging out of the pot. Yeah. You can trim those off as long as it's not green. Anything green is growing. So you want to keep that. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but the the name of the show is Green and Growing. That's right. Good job, Miles. You're definitely definitely coming back. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Uh, Also, another long-lasting bloomer would be a bromeliad. Oh, yeah. Um, It's kind of a non-traditional bloom, but it is really bright and colorful in the center. Um, They like a lot of humidity and moisture, so this might be if you have a nice bathroom with a great window for, for it to get light this would be a great plant for that area. Okay. And and moving to succulents, that's one of the things I wanted to ask about. Because when I, I kind of broached this topic a couple weeks ago on my own on the show, and I had Joseph ride in, and he said, you know what, we've got two Aussie puppies. And the day we got them, the first plant they went after was the succulent. So I hate that the puppies were attracted to it. But the good news was Joseph still has the puppies, who are now his dogs. So that was not harmful to the dogs. Correct. Uh, the only thing I'd caution about succulents is make sure you don't get the ones with the spines. Okay. Oh, like yeah. a, 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 an actual cactus would not be great for your pet to play with, <laughs> um, but things like aloe, echeveria, sedums, anything like that would be great. 
good. I like these suggestions, Miles. These are great. And now y'all did send out um, a Pike Nurseries newsletter a couple of weeks ago with this information, and that's kind of what brought me to talk about it. Um, So I really want to stress to folks, if you want to learn a little more about gardening, tips like this, like what Miles has shared, um, Pike's newsletter is great. I get it every, I think every two weeks, comes straight to my email. So you definitely want to visit pikenursery.com and get signed up for that as well. And um, Miles, I did want to check with you. The American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, you know, as we know, uh, ASPCA, their website has uh, a little more, you know, good information and really delineates that list of what is safe and what definitely is not, you don't want, it's fatal, toxic, et cetera, right? Yes, they have an exhaustive list on their website. So if you ever have any questions, I would go there for a reference. Yeah, ASPCA.org. And, of course, the experts like Miles and others at Pike Nursery are going to be happy to answer any of your questions or quell your fears if it's a plant you really want but you're struggling with that decision. Miles, it's been great to have you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning. It was a pleasure. Have All a right. great day. Have a great weekend. And making the world a brighter place with container arrangements, custom containers, floral designer there at Pike Nursery. What a fun job. What a fantastic job. All right. Thanks, Miles. Thanks to all of you. We've got a few more minutes when we come back. And I want to talk uh, to Linda in Woodstock about what not to add to your compost pile. I think we'll have time for that. Stay tuned. It's Green and Growing on WSB. I'm Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. A cold start to the weekend, mostly sunny by later this afternoon with a high of 44. Tomorrow, sunny, low 26, high 48. All right, my uh, temperature gauge in the studio is going a little crazy right now. It's literally going between 31 and 37. I don't think it can make up its mind, but I'm going to go more toward like 32. We'll average that out. 32, 33 degrees right now in Midtown Atlanta. Uh, I think I'm probably going to run out of time to do the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. But the good news is I've really gotten better about, well, I was never bad, but I've gotten a little more consistent with updating the Facebook page that corresponds with this very show. Uh, On Facebook, you search Green and Growing WSB. There's my page. Like it, follow it. Uh, What I'm going to start doing, and I have no help, by the way. I am am a one-man band when it comes to that. So if I get, you know, something up a day or two late, please forgive me. But uh, what I'm going to try to get better about is sharing the top three things to do in case you miss it. And also, last week, I found that I rattled off a lot of websites um, as references. And I think that after the show, a lot of you ask, wait, what was that website she was talking about? So I have found it helpful for me, um, and hopefully for you all as well, is if I do a Facebook post over the weekend of some of the links I mentioned. So I'm going to start doing that. Um, And pictures that you share, my goodness, y'all send me some fabulous pictures. We had Trent call this morning about sharpening uh, a real mower, and he sent me a picture of it. And I'm going to share that for those of you that don't know what a real mower is. And it's not real, R-E-A-L, like as opposed to a fake mower, not not like that. So maybe I'll share a little bit of information about that. And uh, somebody sent me a picture of a stinkhorn mushroom, which looks kind of crazy. And I shared that, and a, a few of you learned a little more about that. But one of the last calls we had, and she did have to hang up, Linda in Woodstock, what not to add to compost? And I think that's a great question. Composting is so intimidating to a lot of folks. You've got to have the right uh, moisture. You've got to have the right air. You've got to have the sun to heat that pile up and get all the microbes going and all that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, what what's good to add is a good balance of green and brown material. So you've got the nitrogen and you've got the carbon working. But her question specifically what not to add. Um, generally, as I, as I mentioned in the top three things to do throughout the show, you don't want to mention or uh, don't want to add diseased plants to the compost pile because disease generally will not go away. Any kind of pathogen is going to 
live in that compost, and then you throw that nice compost in with your garden beds, your raised beds, and it's going to live in the soil and affect the new plants that you put in. So number one for me would be nothing that has any disease on it at all. Um, anything chemically treated as well. You think if you've sprayed your grass clippings uh, with things and you're mowing them and then you empty your uh, lawnmower bag into the compost pile, if that lawn's been chemically treated, I would not do that. Also, any manure from a meat-eating animal. Um, people do use chicken manure in compost if you have it at your disposal. Um, horse manure, you've got to be careful because it depends on what they have grazed on, what they have been fed on. But generally, you know, your dog, your cows, I mean, in, anything like that, I probably just wouldn't do it. Now, I read a lot about composting in the UK, and they promote using animal waste and compost. I, I just wouldn't do it. Um, what else is a bad idea? Something diseased, anything chemically treated, um, anything really large that's not going to break down easily. So pine cones are kind of cool. Limbs are kind of cool. But I take the time to really break things down. Um, eggshells, too, take to, the time to crush those up because those take a long time to decompose if you just have the eggshell split in half. So there you go, Linda. I hope that's, that's certainly not a comprehensive list, but that is a few things to think about what not to do. Uh, in the compost pile. Okay, it is time for me to go make room for Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It show coming up right here on WSB from 9 to noon. Really appreciate all of you so much and DeMarco and Ann for keeping the show on the air and not cutting me off because I get a little tired of hearing myself. So that's why Dave's coming in now. So I'll check in with you Monday morning during Atlanta's morning news and triple team traffic. Stay warm and have a great weekend.